I, um, <clears throat> ah, wow, it's already hitting me. We're, um, we're in the last of a series of 36 messages today. And um, so uh, more on what that means to me personally a little bit later, but um, I knew I would feel it. I knew there would be a sense of uh, uh, finality, and yet in this case, as you'll come to learn, um, it's not final. There's, there's more. And um, I want to ask you a couple of questions to kind of lean into my last message in this series, Moments with the Master. Uh, what, what do you say, what would you say, uh, when or if you only had a short time left in which to say it? That's the first question. Getting you in touch with something that really matters, right? What would you say? It differs from person to person, but you probably have an answer. Now hold on to that answer because there's a part B. Uh, who do you meet with? Who do you meet with if, in fact, you have only a few weeks before you must leave? Never mind why, but you've got to go. So what would you say if you only had a few things, a little bit of time to say it, and who would you meet with um, before you had to go. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure all of us would say really important things and we would pass on the small talk, wouldn't we? I mean, who's got time to talk about, you know, the Blazers or something like that? I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, but we really, we would. We'd pass on smaller things, lesser things. We would go for things that really, really matter. Most of us are thinking of someone we would tell that we love. Okay, I, I get that, and that makes uh, good sense. I'm also pretty sure that you would only meet with people like I would, my, my family and my close friends. Uh, I just, I like my neighbors, uh, but I wouldn't think, man, I've only got like a day left. I'm going to spend them with my neighbors uh, or, or acquaintances, even sort of further out on the uh, circle. Uh, so we come today to such a, a moment, a final moment with the Master. I mentioned already it's the 36th moment with the Master message that takes us clear back to August in the middle of the pandemic. Remember that thing? <laughs> We've almost killed it. But um, today's moment actually occurs different than all the others. So 35 other moments were were spent with Jesus in one of the four Gospels. You know that has been true throughout. This one actually is outside of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John narratives. It happens to be in the first chapter of Acts. If you haven't found that yet or didn't know that was coming, find your way to the very first page after uh, the Gospel of John in everybody's Bible, and you'll find your way to the book uh, of Acts. In fact, it, uh, this moment is captured in the opening chapter of what's known as the Acts of the Apostle, or in my Bible, it simply says Acts. All right? So um, 
I want to connect something because I'm very, very aware of and sensitive to people that aren't, uh, maybe aren't uh, steeped in tradition of coming to church and knowing words that I've just mentioned, like Acts or the Gospels or Gospel of John. So let me quickly connect. The author of Acts is a man named Luke. He was a first century physician. Think doctor. And, uh, and Luke is the same Luke, if, you're, if you heard me earlier say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the same Luke as the one that wrote and recorded the events in his gospel bearing his name. So that connects something. You may not know this. Most of us would say on a pop quiz, who wrote the most in the New Testament, um, humanly speaking? And most would say the Apostle Paul. But the truth is, if you add up the content of Luke's gospel, 24 chapters, and the content of Luke's narrative here, 28 chapters, he actually wrote more than the Apostle Paul. So he is the voice of not only Jesus, but he's the voice of uh, the people of Jesus in the 30 years that followed Jesus' death, resurrection, 40 days on earth, and then ascension to heaven. You getting with me now? So that's, that's who Luke is. And his, his description in Acts is about um, the people of the way. Would you write that down? Because they weren't known as the church yet. They were known as, in fact, you would say to somebody, yeah, I'm part of the people of the way in Tigard, Oregon. Uh, check Acts chapter 9, verse 2, and that's where you see it there, but it repeats. We've simply come to call it the early church or the first century church, all of which are correct. So we come here to this opening, really, paragraph in chapter 1, uh, which spans six weeks. I mentioned a moment ago, 40 days. So Luke's gospel ends with Jesus resurrecting from the dead, the other gospels, same way. There's some details that happen afterwards. Well, Acts kind of captures that as well. There's been 40 days, we're told in the opening that we'll read in a moment, since his resurrection uh, from the dead. That would be a month and a half of moments. See where I get my word? I love that. Month and a half of moments. So we're, call it June 1st today, day off. Um, But we're uh, into mid-July, that amount of time, from June through June into mid-July. And Jesus spends moments with people, most of them with his apostles. That's what I referred to earlier. They're not casual acquaintances. They're not even neighbors. Not that he would pass on any of that, but it's not uh, lost on me that he he met with his apostles. You might wonder, wait, I thought they were disciples. They're disciples when they're learning from him. On this day, they become apostles. They speak for him. They learn from him and the uh, disciples, and then they speak for him, apostles. Do you get that? They're same people, but their mission has changed. So these words tell us who Jesus met with 
and what he said. That's important, okay? So during those 40 days. So in my former book, Theophilus, very cool name. I think he went by Theo. The locals knew, knew him as Theo or Ted or something. But um, in my former book, Luke's writing, Theophilus, by the way, we don't know who he is. We're not, we're not sure. He could have been a seeker. He really could have. That's kind of the best explanation I came up with in my research. Could have been just a, a guy that went, you know, I don't get it yet. I'm not sure. Not convinced. And so Luke says, hey, let me capture it for you, Theo. And, and he does. So I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He's referring to chapter 24, Luke is, of his gospel, his last writing, his last chapter. Now watch closely. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, he's talking about the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He, ap he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. My Bible switches now to red print. It tells me it, these are Jesus' words being mentioned here. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus said, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, and a few then meant the same as a few now, okay? In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, let's just stop. That's what Jesus said. Red ink runs out at this point in my uh, Acts chapter 1. I want you to go back for just a minute in your memory. I'll tell you if you've never been there. Uh, Jesus spent uh, a very significant night late in the late innings of his earthly life with his disciples in a place called the Upper Room. It was a time where they shared Passover. And it was a time where Jesus talked about a lot of important things that were to come. And in that room, the last chapter, it goes from John 13, 14, 15, 16. Chapter 17 is 100% of the chapter is a prayer. So Jesus, after hanging with the fellas, uh, talking about important things to come, says, let's pray. And the whole chapter is the recording of, some have called it, dubbed it, the true Lord's Prayer. We're used to the one, our Father who art in heaven, the hallowed be thy name, from the Sermon on the Mount. But this is Jesus praying. And if you went to verse 18 of John 17, you would come to this part 
of his prayer. He prayed this in the same way. I almost feel like I need to close my eyes and help you imagine praying. In the same way, he's talking to his father, that you gave me, Jesus, your son, a mission in the world. I give them, the, the disciples, soon to be apostles, I give them a mission in the world. John 17, verse 18. By the way, the chapter ends with Jesus saying, come, let's go from here, and moments later he was arrested. That sets it in context, doesn't it? So here in Acts 1, the disciples were about to receive special instructions for what he just prayed, their mission. In the same way you, Father, sent me on a mission, I am now sending them. And Acts 1, the disciples are to receive, and we just read about some of what they received as instructions for their mission. Uh, Rick Warren makes a helpful connection. Listen to this. And by the way, if you've not read his book, um, many did, like, like hundred, millions have read Purpose Driven Life. It is outstanding. It's very biblical, and it takes you to the text in a way that says, is this purpose real in my life? So I would recommend it without reservation. He makes this helpful connection. The mission Jesus had while on earth is now our mission. And what is that mission? He's just plain speak here. Here is what it is, introducing people to God. The Bible says Christ changed us from enemies to his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends as well. So Jesus on this day is at his one of his favorite places, the uh, Mount of Olives. If you were to go back in this 36 weeks, you would hear us repeatedly going there because Jesus spent so much time there. It was the place where the famed triumphal entry, we celebrate that on Palm Sunday. He rode a donkey from the Mount of Olives, Bethany, Bethphage, just around the corner, and he came down the Kidron Valley and up to Jerusalem on a donkey. That day was, we call it Palm Sunday. It was known as the triumphal entry. And then you go a little bit further and you hear Jesus teaching the most expensive, no, uh, extensive discussion of any theme he ever taught on. You know what it is in one setting? His return. And it's called, in theological circles, the Olivet Discourse, which is uh, words they give you in seminary because you pay a lot of money to be in seminary. But, uh, and I love seminaries, don't get me wrong. But here's the deal. The Olivet Discourse, he came out of the temple in Jerusalem. The disciples said, hey, you know, this is a beautiful building and all. And Jesus says, you know, it's going to all come down and, and in three days it'll rise again. Well, he was not talking about the temple. He's talking about himself. And then... The guys said, hey, how's all this going to happen? And then Jesus went into a lengthy discussion. Some of you are taking notes. Write this down. I think I have it at the bottom in your uh, further study section in the outline. Uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. All 
Jesus at the Mount of Olives talking about the things that are going to happen before he comes back. Have I hooked you or what? Man, those disciples were like, get this, bro, get this shit. Hey, shut up, man, I'm trying to get this. Now, that kind of thing. They're trying to take it in because they're interested. How many are interested in, in Jesus coming back? Right? Well, go there. Check it out. Find out for yourself. And uh, get your act together. <laughs> I say that because every time I read that, I go, man, I got to straighten it up. I got to step up my game. I'm still at the Mount of Olives. Remember that scene where Jesus, it says, sweat drops of blood. Never been there, but it's intensity like nothing else. It's all happened right in that location. And then, sure enough, Judas was the guy that shows up and kisses him on the cheek to betray him and ultimately led to his crucifixion. Still not done. Um, it's the place of his ascension. Ascension means returning to heaven. It all happened right here. By the way, the prophet Zechariah, he's an Old Testament prophet, was the one in chapter 14, verse 4, said, he will come back. How many know Jesus coming back? And I know he's coming back to our world, right? Raise your hand. You believe that? Well, guess what? I know where exactly he's coming back in this world. He'll come back physically. He's not going to be everywhere at that moment. He will come back to this location, the Mount of Olives. You getting why I call it his favorite place? It was that big. So it's rich with symbolic significance. And here he has recorded in these words the last few moments on this morning with his disciples and he delivers important information to now his apostles so you made the earlier connection that means this is information not just for them but for us all right i'm going to give you three not because i'm a preacher and everything comes in threes no uh Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so there. Uh, but anyway, um, think of these as necessary information for carrying out your mission. First, he really rose from the dead. He really did. You say, well, come on, Pastor, I got that. What's number two? Hold up. Not everybody truly, deeply believes that. Um, verse 3, which begins the section that um, tells what he did, Jesus did during these 40 days. After his suffering, look at here. He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs of what? Finish the verse for me, everybody. That he was alive. So for 40 days, he gave many convincing truths. If you were one of if you if you, you were one of those to see him with your own eyes, you would have no denial of that reality. You saw him die. Some of y'all went to watch him uh, be buried, but he's not there anymore. 
and you actually saw him. He is alive. And believing this bedrock truth is, has become core to a power that is necessary in you as a person on a mission. I'm not talking to people that are, you know, super type A, just go get them and rock the house. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that belong to Jesus who see Jesus are never the same. If you took time to go to uh, my favorite go-to passage for uh, the importance, the core essential of he rose again, uh, the resurrection as it's called in the Bible, you would find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's a very extensive chapter written by the human author, the Apostle Paul. And he said stuff like this. If Christ has not been raised, in other words, if you aren't settled on that fact, then, he's talking to preachers first, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You're wasting your time to come here. It's not going to do anything for you. See how consequential this is? He goes on. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Talk about no power. And worse off, you're still in your sins. And he concludes... Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, can I be very, very personal about it? My mother, who died a month ago, did not die because of what I'm telling you right now. The resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, I don't have to wonder, ah, is she really alive? Is she? No, I know she is now face to face with Jesus because he said so. That's the, do you hear the strength in my voice? Do I miss mom? Yeah. Will I see her again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amen? You want to clap on that. How many of you have loved ones you want to see again? That's, this isn't hype. This is just truth. So, given the resurrection's importance, no wonder Jesus gave, we're told here, many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, I don't know what that meant. If I was Jesus right now, and I sensed that you were a skeptic, I would, I don't know, I'd come down and I would rub your face <laughs> or something. Let you feel, you know, that's not a ghost. I might kiss you on the lips. I don't even know. I, uh, but I would do something that demonstrates to you I'm legitimately alive. So whatever the convincing truth, I can give you a couple that come to mind. He ate with his disciples. Remember that? They gave him a piece of fish. It was a trick. They went, here, here, here's a little salmon. Here's a little salmon from the Pacific Northwest. No. Uh, and, and then they watched him chew it. And then they sw he swallowed. Ghosts don't do that. Oh, here's another one. Say this room was sealed up tight, and I hope it doesn't get sealed up tight because it's legitimately warm in here today, right? We, yeah, some of you are fanning. Okay, I get it. So here's the deal. Let's say the room was sealed up tight, and all of a sudden he's standing here. You would say to somebody sitting next to you, how did he get there? How did, what? 
and man, he's a better preacher than that first guy. <laughs> you know, he, you'd say things, you'd just go, what happened here? Right? Those are, that's a convincing proof. And it, and it went on like that. He actually went on to rebuke uh, people, his disciples. You've been given a lot of evidence and you're still not convinced. What's up with you? So I'm going to ask you right now on this first important piece of information that's like fuel in your rocket. Are you really convinced? Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You got to be settled on that. You do. I, I've never seen somebody else rise from the dead. So is it scientific? No, but not a single miracle in the Bible scientific. That doesn't, that's not our standard. We're way higher than science. We are. Um, if, if not, if you're not convinced, I have an assignment for you. It's right here in what we just read. Why don't you ask him honestly, not a test, just ask him honestly. Hey, Lord, you gave them convincing proof. Would you give me some of that? Or point me to where it is in your book, the Bible. Would you do that? I think your mission, my mission, depends on it. Secondly, second powerful piece of information. Also, verse 3. Notice he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, some of the convincing proof, and spoke about the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying there. He really is the king. He is the king. And there is a kingdom coming. It's not a process of you and me making earth better and the kingdoms of this earth gooder until the day comes that we can say, oh good, the kingdom of God is now reestablished. There is a kingdom coming. You need to read late in Revelation and you'll see how it comes about. Pretty much the earth gets smoked. I'll just, I won't. <laughs> and all the bad people, all the, and I don't mean bad like I'm not bad. I mean people that are bad and never turn to the only cure, Jesus Christ. Then all of them, along with the devil and his demons, are cast into an eternal lake of fire, according to the Bible, and then a new heaven and new earth are established. And the kingdom of God will have come. You got it? That's the, that's the deal here, okay? You remember words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I quoted it earlier, um, some of them. Uh, we, we pray the prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earlier, um, actually later in Matthew 6, verse 33, after a long list of things that people worry about, stuff like food and, wa and, and uh, clothing and uh, stuff like that, important things. He says, don't, don't sweat these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then those things that you're worrying about, They'll start to take care of themselves. So, though Jesus clearly emphasized um, the personal realm, which is what he's talking about here, what's being discussed here in verse 3, 
he spoke about the kingdom of God, he being the king, the disciples were convinced that he was talking about setting up a kingdom now, restoring Israel and removing the occupying power. They were known as Rome, and they were loathed. They were despised. And so, verse 6, the disciples are actually saying, um, hey, um, Lord, are you at this time actually going to restore the kingdom, notice, to Israel? And Jesus' response is pretty, he, he didn't go, hey, guys, really? You don't get that? And we're here at the last moments? He says, instead, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, verse 7. He is king, but I want to take you to what he wants to be king of right now. The hearts of men and women all over the world. Not the nation, not the government in our city. Does that mean Jesus doesn't care about that? No, he just wants to work where his work can be accomplished and, and make a transforming difference in people's lives. You ask anybody that bowed their knee to Jesus at some point, and they will say something changed in my life. I want to suggest to you don't have a picture of it that I can show you right now, but let's pretend that I'm in a director's chair. And that director's chair represents a, the coveted seat in my life. And in your life, you have one of those two. Somebody sits in that chair. Of me and of you. Who is it? Many of us would have to be honest and say, well, it's kind of, we kind of try to share it. And, I, and then I have to add to this, there's only room for one, right? Chair can only handle one. So let me ask it as a question. Um, is he king of every part of you? Is he king of you? Uh, if some part of your personal Life and only you really know the answer to this, uh, is not under his kingly reign. His, in other words, his kingdom has not come to that area in your life. Then you would have to answer, you know, he's, he's king. I would say, yeah, he's king. I believe Jesus is king. But I haven't bowed every part of my life to his reign. I have a great book uh, it's a booklet. It's a little tiny thing. If you want a copy, um, you can easily get them. They're, they're, I've given uh, cases of them out. It's called My Heart Christ Home. It's written by um, a guy named Robert Munger. And um, it's a classic. It's a wonderful piece of literature. It's based on the scripture where uh, in, the, in the epistles. He wants to come a, to make himself at home in your life. And that's a, that's a vision sort of of welcoming him as king into your life. But here's the deal. Some of us let him be king of certain parts of our lives. But there's stuff that's off limits. Hey, Jesus, we don't say it consciously. We just don't operate with that sense of, look, Jesus, you're in the director's chair, so you get to tell me how much I write my check of giving 
You get to tell me where you want me to, uh, how far you, do you want me to talk to this neighbor? They seem open to hearing about the one that lives in my life. You know, you, you, uh, we're, we're good with some of that, but, but some areas we, we hold back. We actually uh, close off. You know the do not cross tape? Crime scene stuff? You haven't been to a crime scene? You didn't follow my childhood, you know? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? It's that tape that says don't cross. Some of us have that in parts of our life. And Jesus, he doesn't show up with scissors and go, ah, you know. He waits until, he actually only has a question, one question. Will you give me the keys? I'm not telling you clean up your act because you can't without help. I shared with a man this last week about um, our church. I think I blew him away. He almost had an injury. Uh, it was so different than his experience. He, uh, he went to a beat-down church someplace. I don't know. Uh, he says, I went home just bummed. I went home like, like ripped apart. I gave up on a long time ago. Gave up on Jesus. Religion, he said. So I was telling him about Grace Point, that we're just a church. We're Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. He's waiting for more. I said, that's us. That's who we are. So he went back to his car, and he was getting in his car, and I said, hey, I mentioned his name. I said, here's one thing you need to know. Uh, I gave him, gave him my card. So I said, all that information's current. You come check us out. I said, but here's one thing you need to know. You don't have to dress up or straighten up. He stopped. But I said, just show up. He was like, for real? This is cool. You know why? There's a whole theology behind all that, but the worship team's looking at me nervously like he's going to preach. This is so good, I can't let it go, you know. But it's, you can't fix you, you. You can't get better without help. Right? You, you don't have to dress up. I mean, look at me. This is normal. Just show up and say, Jesus, look, uh, I know it smells bad in that closet. Would you take care of that? Is that good? He'll do it. All right. He really is king. Um, here's one third thing uh, you need to get. Um, critical understanding when it comes to carrying out your mission. Uh, really important words, and they're all in red in my Bible, and that is His Holy Spirit provides the power. Verse 4, one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem where you are right now, just across the valley, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me talk about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where we are, and Judea, this southern kingdom, and Samaria up in the north, the former capital of Israel when the kingdom was divided. And in all those places and then to the ends of the earth, his Holy Spirit provides the power. Um, Jesus, the last night he was with his disciples, 
revealed uh, words that had to just be a, I don't know the note on a piano, but that deep one that just, boom. You know what I mean? That one that stops everybody. And he said, I must go away. I wouldn't have wanted to hear it at all. We were having a great time. Why go away would have been on my mind. And then Jesus said, when I go away, I will send the promised Holy Spirit. And he said it this way, okay? I'm quoting from his words in John 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify. There's our mission. For you have been with me from the beginning. And the very next chapter begins, explains that the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit, the place shook and rocked and the Holy Spirit arrived want you to notice something carefully. The, the Holy Spirit would provide the power for the apostles to be, look at verse 8 again, witnesses. If, if you're in the habit of circling words, would you circle this word right now, witnesses? Really huge, huge word. Um, it appears 29 times in Acts. It's more than one time per chapter. Barely. Okay? 29 times in 28 chapters. Witnesses. Um, some of the time it appears as a verb. Describing something you do. You witness. Tell about what you've seen and heard. Sometimes it appears as a noun. You are a witness. Okay? You're connecting those two. So put them together and verse 8 comes alive. We are the ones, witnesses, who tell what we've seen and heard, witness. We are the ones, help me, witnesses, and we tell what we've seen and heard, which is witnessing. Okay? So th those, those come together. Acts 5 verse 20 tell about uh, John and Peter. They, they said, hey, we're just... We're just witnesses telling you what we've seen and heard about this Jesus. They got in trouble for doing it then, and people still do. So we witness with the Holy Spirit's help, is what's being said here, everywhere we go. And we never, please hear this, it's not your job. Don't do this, don't try to do this alone. I say that for this reason. Witnessing is not always welcome. People will kick you to the curb. They do not want to hear. Um, this may shock you as it did me, but this word I've had you circle, some of you have, this word, um, there's a, think about this. There is a, um, an English word that uh, is really a harsh word. It's the word martyr. Um, martyr is really the word murdered for your faith. For it, it's, it's, it's bad. Okay, so we get that word, the word martyr. 
Here's what most of us don't know. The, the word martyr comes from the same Greek word as witness. Not making this stuff up. Hold on. These apostles understood the connection. They had heard Jesus' earlier words from John 15, verse 18, for example. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first, Jesus said. Verse 18, if they persecuted me, what do you all think is going to happen to you? They'll persecute you too. And then he goes on in chapter 16, verse 2. The time is actually coming when anyone who kills you, I don't like any part of that, will actually think they're doing a service to me. Whoa. So here's a thought. I took that to the apostles and I thought, Judas is already gone. There's 11 of them. Do you realize what I found? And maybe you've learned this already somewhere along the way. Of the 11 apostles now, of the 11, uh, John, the writer of the Gospel of John and the three postcards, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, that John was the only one that was not martyred. For witnessing about what they've seen and heard. And with those words from Jesus, our moments with the Master um, in this series are over. It's kind of sad for me, to tell you personally. Uh, I've learned so much in these meetings with the Master. Can I tell you what my week's been like normally? I, I sit down with my Bible and I, I look where I'm going to go and I found myself really looking forward to these moments with the Master. Um, like a bright spot, a scheduled bright spot in my week. And they've, they've, they've come alive for me and I, I, I actually along the way have come to the conclusion that I think Jesus looks forward to it as much as I do. It's been really fun. And, and at first, um, you know, you might wonder, the title that I chose, Moments with the Master, I just liked it because it rolled off the tongue. It just sounded cool, you know. Hey, let's have a moment with the Master. Sounds, sounds good. But eventually it became way more personal for me. It's moments with my master. That's, that's how I approach this. And you know what else I found happening? I couldn't get enough of them. I would finish one, like I will in a moment, and I want to keep going. And I'm thinking, John said somewhere, you know, the libraries of the world couldn't contain all the, the other things he's done they're just not written so I thought well I can make some stuff up that would even be cool you know um, but that wouldn't be cool actually um, so I tell you that because you're looking and going he didn't read 9 through 11 uh, that's why this this scene that we've looked at this morning uh, it fills me with joy to read these final words. After he said all that we've just covered, after he said all that the Gospels record, 
He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were doing what I would have done if I were standing there. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going away. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, these angels said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? And I would say squinting and going, I mean, I would have just thought, no, come back. Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you just now saw him go. <laughs> that is so cool. And it takes this fourth principle, it's obvious to you, he will come again. He will come again. The apostles that stood there that day, they got that. We may have tears that um, moments are done, but you know what? Um, the day is coming that this same Jesus will come back. And when he does, the, the sorrow of seeing him go will give way to an eternal joy. And guess what? We get to resume more moments <laughs> that will never go away. Amen? with the master. I want to leave you with these words from Rich Mullins, who was a singer-songwriter who's with the master today. Uh, he captures well what my heart um, remembers well from this series. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first led me to you. And if I sing, let me sing with the joy that you have borne in me these songs. I would change it to these sermons. And if I weep, let it be as a man who longs for his home. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, please. <clears throat> if you have not bowed your heart, to Jesus and confirmed with your tongue that he is truly the Lord. Would you please hear me more than anything you've heard these 36 weeks? That is the most important moment with the master. It's the starting point for all of us. Most important moment you will ever experience. And you can do that. You can have that moment right this moment. Would you pray this prayer if you're joining us live stream? You're in the house right now and you're saying, man, I've gone to church for a long time. Heard tons about Jesus. But it's not quite there for me yet. Would you pray this prayer? Jesus, I am a sinner. Up to now... You have just been a story to me. Super interesting, but just a story. But I know that I can't be forgiven and I can't clean up the sin mess that I've made without you. And I can't be on mission 
for you and with you until you actually live in me. That was my story. So please be merciful to me, the sinner, and save me. Starting now, change me one moment after another as I spend time with you, my master. If you prayed that prayer, we want to hear from you. If you're watching from some other place, would you contact the church? We just want to help you take steps to walk with the master day by day, moment by moment. Same goes for you in the house this morning. You just prayed that prayer. No shame, no embarrassment. It's a time of triumph and victory. Would you let us know? Write in, let us know. Do you know Jesus? You knew him before this day, and this has been rich and rewarding for you. Then, then tell what you've seen. And tell what you've heard about your master to everyone you know until he returns. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being powerful and present and incredibly personal. We respond to you one heart at a time now and worship to you until we see you face to face. Let's stand together and let's worship.